Hi there, I'm Ben Pierce, and welcome to the Elevated You podcast, the podcast all about helping you in the tech world develop your professional skills. Each episode, we share the top tips, failures, and lived experiences of people thriving in the same world as you. I'm so glad you're here. So let's get going. Hi, folks, and welcome to the Elevated You podcast. Now, it has been a tough time for loads of people in the tech industry recently with loads of redundancies and layoffs, uh, and we felt we wanted to do something to help. So we thought we'd put together uh, an episode uh, on on how to find and land your next great tech job. So I needed an expert to come in and help us with that. And, and boy, have we got one. So our guest today has, has lived and breathed recruitment for over 20 years. He's been a talent acquisition lead for loads of different organisations in the tech sector and helped recruit some amazing people. I partnered with him for a number of years. So please welcome to the podcast... Wakar Sabir. Yes. Hi. Good morning, Ben. Thank you very much for having me. Absolute pleasure uh, to kind of take part in this podcast. I'm very excited uh, and uh, looking forward to uh, hopefully demystifying uh, some of the actions that people should take when looking for their next roles. Well, Wakar, for those that don't know you, could you introduce yourself to our lovely listeners? Yes. Uh, hi there, uh, everyone. Uh, my name is uh, Bakar Sabir. Uh, I'm an experienced talent acquisition professional. I've uh, been a recruiter for the best part of 20 years. Uh, worked in various different businesses, different size and scale, complexities. Uh, I've just finished my third uh, stint uh, here at um, Microsoft, where I've obviously met the wonderful Ben and various other colleagues. Uh, and I've worked with people like Facebook. IBM, CGI, Lloyds Banking Group, so quite a range of different businesses, different sectors, different complexities and different challenges, uh, which hopefully uh, means I can, uh, I'm, I'm well placed to be able to answer some of these questions. Yeah, and, and when, when we worked together, um, you were in the role of sort of global talent acquisition. So you were sort of leading the whole recruitment process, finding great people, and you've been doing that. And then we'd sort of get involved together, wouldn't we, for the interview process. And I'd be like a hiring manager and making, I guess, the final decision on whether somebody was a right fit for the team. And we sort of partnered really closely. So sort of it's great for us to have a conversation, I think, because I kind of come at it from a I've been a techie. Uh, I've been through those interviews. Then I've been a hiring manager and I've been hiring for people in tech roles. And you've been there from that other side, the talent acquisition side. So hopefully between us, we might know a thing or two <laughs> that, that, that will be able to help people out. Yeah, well, you'd like to think so. Um, I mean, one of the <laughs> one kind of hallmark highlights that I had actually in my recent stint uh, at uh, Microsoft was successfully delivering the largest ever recruitment hire um, for the CSU, the Customer Success Unit. So that seems to have gone well. So uh, yes, you'd like to think that we're we're fairly well placed. <laughs> so, so should we should we jump straight in? Um, and and sort of as we were sort of thinking about how best to structure this, it, it seemed to me that maybe there was two natural areas that kind of uh, break up. There is the before the interview phase. So how do you go from where you are today into I've now got an interview lined up with a company that I want to go and work for? And then the second phase is 
Right, how do you nail that interview, you know, which is something is, is an art in its own right. So maybe if we break that up into those sort of two phases. So if we start thinking about um, before, you know, how do we find that first role? Or sorry, not the first role. How do we find that role and get ourselves in a position to, 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 to find the role? Do you want to maybe share some top tips and best practices for people on how to do that? Yes, sure. Uh, I'd, I'd say there are a handful of areas that people should continually be focusing on, and uh, there are recurrent themes I see on a constant basis for candidates coming into our processes. So I'd say top tip number one, be intentional. We come across various candidates in talent acquisition, hundreds and hundreds of candidates who are looking for roles, but they're not always clear on their whys and the whats. So, you know, why are you here? Why are you interested in this specific role? Why, for example, would it be this particular company? And all of that allies to making you a credible fit when it comes down to knowing exactly what you're specifically aiming for and what you're trying to achieve. Is it the values? You know, this underpins the core motivations you have when you're actually applying. And therefore, that follows all the way through to the end of the process. Also, the what's. You know, what are you seeking? What are the career goals? You know, what types of roles are you interested in? What kind of package are you looking for? And to my mind, if it's the right company, the right role and the right package, those are the three things that typically need to be aligned and understood well before you even start looking for a role. So number one, be very intentional. Be very intentional. And, and so have some clarity in your own mind what it is you're trying to go for. And I guess sometimes, and I've been in this position once or twice, where I just needed a job. <laughs> you know, and and so you, straight away, you're just on a bit of a back foot if you're in that kind of reactive space, aren't you, where you're just looking because I need to pay some bills. Um, whereas what you kind of said, in an ideal world, let's be intentional about it and think, what is it you want? Have clarity on what it is you want and why you want it, because that's going to help set you up for the entire process process yeah particularly further into the process when you are going to be interviewing against a very high level of uh, very focused achievement orientated individuals who are very specific about the position that they're looking for that does actually come through in the interviews later on down the line so it's imperative that you're quite clear about what you're trying to actually achieve okay so be intentional we got that what what else do we need to do in before the interview phase um, I would say tip, tip number two, perfect the CV. Spend some time, have colleagues, partners, recruiters, hiring managers, different colleagues. Actually have a look at the CV because what looks good to you doesn't always look good to folks in talent acquisition. Quite often I see a chronological list of information which just talks about what somebody's actually done. It doesn't particularly highlight things like the key projects, their achievements, what, what's been the impact, you know, what have been the savings, the ROI, the, the particular wins that you would want to point towards, that will tell a story over and above uh, a CV. Quite often, again, I see a pattern, a consistent pattern of people just talking about the things that they've done. It's very task orientated, which doesn't really set you apart from, from the, the key competition. So I'd say perfect the CV, number one, speak to people like me. Uh, if you like. And obviously, there are different schools of thought around whether a CV should be two pages or 10 pages. I think it does well, vary. Uh, which, which school are you in? Uh, I tend to <laughs> prefer, having seen thousands and thousands, the slightly middle, the, the middle to longer rather than the kind of two page. I think it does vary. And I know, Ben, you're a fan of the, of the shorter <laughs> uh, CVs. But uh, again, perhaps you're seeing the best 20 for your eight roles, whereas I'm seeing the top 400 for yeah. the roles that come through. But equally, 
the reason why, um, from a perspective of uh, length, it's quite important is that certain applicant tracking systems, so I'll give you a bit of a tip on the way that the internal workings of talent acquisition work, is that the ATS will actually score... Sorry, and what's the ATS? Yes, so the ATS is an applicant tracking system, which okay. is an, in it's an internal platform that practically every business, especially large businesses, will use to store, collect, uh, and be able to share CVs with hiring managers and the hiring community. Okay. What it does, which is quite important, is that it ranks particular CVs that come in, sometimes based on the recurring word count or the number of hits it has on specific words. So if you're a salesperson and you've only mentioned sales once in your CV, right at the top, you're going to come very low down the list of um, candidates. And where you have hundreds and hundreds, I think if I take sales as an example, you should talk about revenue, you should talk about you know, business development, you should talk about, you know, top line ROI, you should talk about TCVs. And the more often you mention them without being you know, repetitive is something that I, I find actually ranks your CV a bit higher in those Interesting. Interesting. And and so that, that adds to a bit of a point there, the generic CV versus the role specific CV. What what would you go for? Would you go for people just having a generic CV that they, or would you say right? Everybody needs to have uh, craft a specific CV for that role that they're going for. I'd, I'd say there's a balance. Um, if you're applying for four or five slightly different types of positions, a SWAT slight tweak or a SWAT tailor is probably no bad thing. That said, um, I think as long as it's true and you're not overly stretching out to a point where it's now debatable how much value you're actually adding by tailoring the CV, then you're better off leaving it as one. So I don't think that there is a, a black and white answer. Personally, as a, as a recruiter, I've got it down to one. Um, I have tinkered around with other CVs as well. So where it's more people management, obviously you talk a bit more about the coach care model type of philosophy. If it's a top level IC, then I think you should focus on there. So maybe have two, but... I wouldn't go. Uh, I wouldn't recommend having a plethora of six or seven different ones for for different roles because that might come back to the first point in that you're not that intentional about what you're actually going for. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, and I, and I think from my perspective, as the hiring manager, when I put my hiring manager hat on, um, I quite like the focused ones because if you if if somebody's come at a job because this is the role that they really want to do and this is the company they really want to work for and they've crafted their CV to really help me get that you know to help them get that um that really helps um show the passion and energy for for the role so I think it's but when I go back to when I just needed a job I couldn't have done that um so yeah I guess it depends on whether you're in the ideal situation or you're you're not in the ideal situation situation of of how intentional and proactive you can be on getting that role yeah I, I do agree with those views one word of caution however is yeah. um, given that we see hundreds and hundreds yeah quite often people will tailor a cv to reflect what they think you are looking for okay uh, and hence what happens in an interview process is that once you start delving into i don't know security and identity and access management that actually the experience is very shallow yeah. Um, and herein lies another challenge, which means that's why I say you don't want so many different versions okay. that actually it purports to paint a picture that yeah. isn't entirely true. And then it will it will come unstuck. You will come unstuck further on into the process. So a word of caution.
about love it. being too targeted. Yeah. No, love it. So so we've got the CV. Um, what's, the ne- what's, what's the next thing? So we've been intentional. We've got the CV. Next thing. Uh, my next tip would be to leverage your own network. Uh, often overlooked, uh, it tends to be an initial starting point where we speak to colleagues, we ask around who's around and who do we know and so on and so forth. But I think it can go much further than this. I mean, I actually went through a period of 10 years doing consultancy work, contracting work, where I only actually interviewed twice. Um, so effectively, now that doesn't mean that I'm an amazing recruiter. It just means that I'm very good at networking, adding value, staying in touch with people, uh, and being able to have a network that can support me as and when I'm actively looking. Now, this should be a career habit that everybody who's in the IT or technical industry should continually be reaching out, continually be networking, if you're, even if you're not looking. You know, this might be a good exercise for people to stay in touch with their ex-managers, stay in touch with their ex-colleagues, drop them a note every now and again. doesn't need to be Facebook, but on things like LinkedIn, those types of checkouts mean that there is an, an invisible hidden job board, and I've benefited from that many, many times where I have been offered a role, had a conversation for a role that's never formally been, been advertised. Now, obviously, there will be a formal process that you will go through at some point in time, but, but to my mind, people who continually will just apply to a job board, uh, I think will miss a trick if they're not often pushing to their own referrals, their colleagues, their bosses, and then being able to stay uh, up to date in your own network. Okay, okay. So so brilliant. Again, if you can be proactive and it's not like I need a job now, then, then having, you know... Um, um, fed and watered that network for a period of time r- really helps. And if I think about that from an internal perspective as well, you know, often there was a lot of internal networking going on and sponsors, you had sponsors internally and mentors internally to help you go for internal roles so that you would find out about jobs just, you know, maybe even before they come up on the job boards because you had that great relationship with some of those sponsors and some of those managers. And, and so it's great to hear what you're saying is is think about that from a um uh, from a an external perspective and 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 invest time in building that network um, around the industry, but there's also part of me that goes, oh well, but that's unfair, you know, because then it comes down to who you know and not what you know, and and surely that's unfair. <laughs> but it's reality, is it? That's the reality of how it works. Well. I don't think that people are often shoehorned into jobs. You know, in this day and age, you know, there are competency-based interviews that people have to go through. I mean, I can tell you from my own experience that people are expected to go through interview processes. There is a fair and rigid structure in place. Um, all that's happened is that you just leveraged your your network. You've been able to uh, extract the value in terms of those your relationships that you've had. And to your point that you mentioned about people going the extra mile on their CVs and tailoring it, and that's gone down well with yourself. Now, wouldn't you also uh, favor somebody or look on them favorably if they're a junior working their way through the ranks and they've taken the initiative to reach out to you to kind of connect with you and show that they're thinking about their career, thinking about the career path, and then they expect to come to you at some point in time, and they've actually looked to build that bridge with you. To, to my mind, that shows a very positive 
kind of growth mindset. And if they're going to do that with you, they'll probably do it with their customers as well. Uh, and uh, therefore, I think that's that's a win-win thing. So I don't think it's cheating. I, th- I think it's a way that the world works. Uh, and uh, I think it tends to separate, you know, the um, the the exceptional from from the good that are out there. And and it's interesting you say that actually because the uh, the next podcast episode it's not been released yet uh, is with a lady called Jessica who did exactly that reaching out on LinkedIn telling me why she should hire me and did an amazing job of that uh, sorry and sorry, telling me why I should hire her and she did an amazing job of that and has now got a job at, you know at a huge tech company so um, you know we're going to talk about that but it's a great there's a great lived lived experience of somebody doing that that's coming up in the in the next episode um so that's brilliant so we've used our network how do you then actually find what jobs are out there what are the best approaches at the moment to finding out what jobs are there um i'd say it's it's imperative that your folks are um proactive in terms of the way that they go about searching for roles. So I think there are some situations where they are quite reactive. For example, you can just apply to different job boards, uh, speak to different agencies, send over a CV, and then you kind of sit back and then you wait to see how that runs through the natural organic process where companies look at a CV and come back to you. But to, to my mind, it's around being proactive, around targeting specific company websites. Uh, so particular companies, let's say there's a top five or a top 10 that you're looking for, is to be able to target specific roles. Uh, a, little, a little tip which works well is to set up job alerts on specific company career sites so that you get a, an instant um, alert that comes up to your feed as and when they're looking for that next particular role, let's say it's a solutions architect, for instance, and then you're kind of alive, you're alert, uh, and you can react to that as quickly as possible. To my mind, what would be more powerful is to understand where that role sits in an organization, who the particular recruiter might be. In my case, it would be myself looking after one area. Lots of proactive people just want to have a chat. They just want to network. They want to get to know who the manager is for that particular area, that particular role going forwards. So it's being proactive, approach the recruiter, feel free to you know, approach different hiring managers, different folks in the business, obviously don't become a pest, you know, nobody's saying to, to do that, but just being quite careful around uh, how you go about connecting with them, building those you know, relationships. And I think people will normally you know, remember people who are good, who are strong, competent, come across well, present themselves well and who are therefore open to a conversation as and when you know the next role actually becomes available so i think those targeted reach outs uh, is something that i would advocate and seems to have worked well for lots of individuals otherwise rpos um the, the large recruitment process outsourcing companies they will often run the hiring for lots of big and large businesses to equally look to reach out to those folks as well so I guess two things there. So if if you're if you know that you want to work for one of the big tech companies, you know, and, and you know who they are, you can go and you know check out their direct uh, and get alerts on their direct careers website. Where, where if you if you don't necessarily know, or there's lots of smaller companies that are out there, where are the places to go and find jobs these days? Is it I don't know LinkedIn, Indeed, Monster? You know where where's the place to find? Uh, or is there a singular place to find all the jobs in the tech sector at the moment? Yeah, I mean, this space is constantly evolving. There are different 
different employers who advertise directly. So Monster, LinkedIn would be ones where businesses do employ uh, folks directly from the market. They interview from there as well. The, the hit rate actually is is less than when they go through specialised agencies. So therefore, there is a space for specialist agencies. Let's say it's data analytics for, for example, where there will probably be only you know 20 to 30 agencies in that space. So I would say it's a combination of dealing and building those relationships with those specialist agencies to do your homework, find out who those agencies are, and you'll find them job serve, CW jobs, LinkedIn, Indeed is a good kind of aggregator website that draws and pulls lots of roles from different job sites. And so those would be good starting points. But but to, to my mind, it's around just being proactive on a constant basis across different platforms, see what works for you, different areas, different fields have slightly better response rates from job boards um, and uh, you know just just be patient it doesn't happen overnight uh, but continue to be tenacious in your approach and uh, continue to build those networks those relationships and equally you know apply to those roles you see via those company job sites number one and then the kind of career job sites that you'll see out there LinkedIn being a good example where you can that's your starting point to then be proactive and then target the kind of people that you actually want to speak to okay now, I think probably we've been, or certainly in my mind, I've been thinking mainly about permanent jobs now. Um, but I've been a contractor in the past, and I know you've been a contractor in the past. And I know lots of tech people take either a prolonged period or a short period of time doing contracting. How, if people want to consider contracting, how, what's the state of that at the moment versus proactive? And, and the things that you've talked about so far, do they relate to contracting as well? Uh, in terms of contracting, even more so in the current environment, uh, it's important to actually build relationships here with agencies. Why? Okay. Because the, the primary function of agencies as a, as a temping arm, if you like, is to supplement the kind of permanent resource that's already in-house. So in terms of my own background, having been a contractor for 10 years, probably about 90 to 95% of the introductions w- would have come initially through an agency. Um, on a temporary position. The first role I had in contracting was a six-week gig at the Lloyds Banking Group, which then turned into the best part of three years. Um, so, so to my mind, it's a good way to, A, get to see what agencies are actually out there. So they will, they are interested as well in terms of a quick turnaround. They're, they're building their own relationships with the, the banks and the different customers that they have out there. So to my mind, speak to agencies, number one. Quite often, um, there is the opportunity to go directly into a business. Um, However, given the recent changes with IR35 and the way that contractors are now payrolled, it's often easier for companies to essentially have you payrolled through uh, an agency anyway, which is why I say, if you go to say somewhere like JobServe used to be a a strong uh, market for contractors where they would build up a list of candidates for specific roles, specific companies on an ongoing basis, their taps are always on. Um, I mean, at the Lloyds Banking Group, for instance, we had 4,000 IT contractors on our books alone. So there's a significant level of churn for people coming off contracts, moving on to new contracts. There is an 18-month to two-year rule as well that they can't go beyond that period as well. So that creates a natural attrition. And that means that there are always going to be temping 
contracting, day rate, as well as FTC opportunities all the time. And to my mind, I think it's a wonderful way for somebody to get into a business. They get to see who you are, how you work, how you add value. And then that in itself, I've known numerous instances where that does convert into a temp to perm, we call it. Yeah. So then you start as a contractor, but you do actually end up being hired there as a permanent employee. And it's an often underlooked um, way of getting into a business because people, um, they will naturally assume there is risk with contracting, which there is a degree of risk. However, I think that the the, the pros outweigh the cons. And I think it's a good way that, and it's an often underestimated way, as I say, that people can actually end up actually working permanently into a business and not have to go through a you know a two month three month uh, interviewing process uh, in, in order to get that opportunity. Uh, yeah, and, and I remember from my perspective, I come back. I'd just done a, a season snowboarding actually in Canada, and uh, and I needed some a job pretty quick <laughs> with the skill set I had. And contracting was a great place. It was you know, quite lucrative at the time. Uh, uh, did some great work. If I'm honest, the jobs, the, the opportunities were a little, from my perspective, a little more boring, if I'm honest. You know, some of the, the coolest and the more interesting stuff went to some of the full-time employees. But it, it served me for a couple of years and, you know, I had a great time doing it. Yeah, I think it can vary from contract to contract. Uh, I've been part of teams hiring onto Verdi, which was the large um, banking divestment program for the Lloyds Bank many, many years ago. And it was known to be a very challenging program. There were lots of opportunities on there coming up constantly just because of the sheer size and scale and complexity of that particular divestment. So it, it can vary. You can land on something like that, which will keep you busy for you know a year and a half, two years. And then there are other ones where actually it's just an emergency. They just need somebody to come in, step in. But, but again, I think the point is that it allows you to meet uh, a number of new potential stakeholders uh, opens your network up a bit further and those people will they will always remember you if you've done a good job and that should stand you in good stead for future opportunities so time is marching on uh we've spent quite a lot of time thinking about even before we got the inter- it got to the interview process yeah <laughs> should we spend a few minutes thinking about the interviews and you know mastering that art of 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 interviewing so what top tips would you have for people in terms of interviewing yeah i mean i see a constant throw of candidates who've done really well to get to uh, be sat in front of our hiring managers and uh, and the opportunities often slips by them and primarily for, I think, one of three reasons. The first one uh, and the top tip number one is really, 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 you, you must do your homework. Far too many people come in on a bit of a wing and a prayer and think, well, I've been doing this role for 10 years, so you know I should be able to answer the questions and queries and not really have to do much over and above. So I'd say things around not just the job spec, but you know what's happening in the industry, what's happening with the particular company you're interviewing for, what's going on in the current affairs, in the media, in the news, what are the likely developments, what's, you know, go beyond just, just the pale details that you can pull off of a LinkedIn page. Uh, and be able to add value and show, you know, a bit like you mentioned earlier on, that people are willing to go the extra mile uh, and be able to kind of demonstrate that in an interview itself. So number one, you know, do your homework, show you've done your homework. Uh, and uh, even if that means, look, have a look at the interviewers, see who they are, see who their backgrounds are, ensure that you demonstrate that you've done your homework as well, because, you know, that always stands you in good stead going forward so i think that tends to be the number one area yeah and, and i'd add to that an air, a good area to prep um 
that that I've seen used a lot. It's around cultural fit because you want people to come in and fit your culture and add to your culture. And mm. I think a lot of people don't think about that and they prep on the technology, they prep maybe on the industry, and actually they haven't looked at well, what's the the un, the, the underlying foundational culture here, and is the cultural fit right for me? Because the hiring team are going to be looking for that as well. So I think that doing your homework on the culture is a really important part as well, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I think it feeds into the kind of narrative around, do you know who we are? Do you know why you're here? Yeah. Why would you think that you're a good fit? So in terms of culture and values, I think if you go into an interview not really knowing what the core values of a company are, but you know what, what the job does, yeah. then I think, again, I think, I think there's a failure there to do your homework correctly, and which will mean that you're and almost certainly take up your own time and the hiring manager's time with no particular outcome. So yeah, so so yeah. Top tip number one: do your homework, don't okay. cut corners, do it correctly. Okay. Uh, number number two, top tip number two is in terms of your answers, you know they need to be relevant. Keep them relevant. I would say that the number one uh, feedback that I get from hiring managers, having had interviewed candidates, is that the candidates would talk about other things you know uh, i think you're waffling is the term that i hear far too often but what that generally means is that they've gone off piste they're talking about other things they're not really answering the question and it quite it can be quite you know i understand it's a nervous time for different folks in interviews but not being able to you know answer the questions in a concise manner give the examples that they really want to see in the limited time you have means that they simply you haven't convinced them so be very irrelevant, be short, sharp, to the point. Equally, don't be curt. So I think there is a balancing act here to, to do. And then therefore, I would say practice, you know, your, your answers, maybe on colleagues, maybe on family, speak to your, your, your colleagues at, uh, in the office and say, this is what I'm thinking, what do you think? And then get that feedback. So, so keep it irrelevant and make sure you answer the question and ensure that there's value. Be able to read the room is what, what we often call it in the industry. Okay. Okay. So first, so talking to interviews, first thing you've got, then do your homework. Second thing is keep it relevant. Um, anything else on the interviews? Um, I'd say it's, it's important that you're always your authentic self. You know, we can't pretend to be somebody else uh, and be able to answer questions that we think answer them in the way that you want to you want to answer them, because simply that will get found out at a later stage on in the, the process. So so I think that goes without a given, but is worth mentioning. But ultimately, in terms of the way you answer questions, you know, do utilize a particular framework. I mean, we often talk about star okay. here in the business, which means situation, task, action result which is it's a structured uh manner of responding to kind of behavioral based interview questions so there's a particular given situation there's a task that you will be uh, be asked to perform there's the actions that you've gone about doing and then what's the result if you stick to that and i'd recommend again people do their homework on what star is and utilize it get used to it start start to uh, leverage that framework in interviewing questions in terms of the way you frame your answers, that I think will give you and optimise your chances of actually securing a role rather than trying to wallow through yeah. you know, an example without really thinking about what the impact was of that question. Yeah, I would wholeheartedly agree with that. I think often people would answer questions and they get stuck in the A part of there, the action. What, what, what mm. did I do? But they sometimes forget that the hiring manager 
has no idea of the situation they were in, no idea of the business they were doing, no idea of the business requirement. Um, so to just take that time to say, right, this is the situation we were in and this is what we were trying to achieve. Just it gives context. It means that a hiring manager can follow along. Then try not to be too waffly. But, you know, you, you, you know, you go through what was it you did. And the other thing I'd say is often call out what you did. Sometimes the royal we comes out a little bit, doesn't it? You know, this is what we did. This is what we did. You're like, well, was it you or was it somebody else? You know, who it's to talk about what you did. And then I think a lot of people forget that, ah, you know, the, the result, you know, and this was the impact that we had. This was what happened to the business. This is what happened to the team. This is the impact. And so just thinking about that STAR method just makes you think about things really differently. And and, and I'm, I'm a big fan of, of using that. And perhaps maybe making it a little bit more natural, you know, not maybe going, so the situation yeah. was and the target <laughs> was, you know, maybe making it a little more conversational, but using that kind of flow, really useful, I think. Yeah, I mean, I'd go a step further and say that the, the best interviews um, I've seen uh, are the ones who can, uh, they, they can, they can, leverage this in a way that it becomes a storytelling exercise so you're actually taking somebody through a journey and, and i always imagine a sherpa and in a way a sherpa would take their customers and clients along the journey and to safety effectively and where they want to get to so if you put yourself in that mindset of a sherpa maybe that's a good takeaway for this around how you would go through the journey and how you would provide the value where is the outcome and you know hopefully your customer survived uh, at the end of it to my mind that would be a good little example for for, for people to practice so storytelling absolutely brilliant well do you know what, Wakar? We are almost at time, I reckon. So um, maybe just to sort of wrap up, what would be the? Oh, you mentioned takeaways. What what would be the couple of key things that you you know you'd recommend people take away from this uh, podcast today? I'd say be very intentional in terms of what you're actually looking to do and then to achieve. Uh, perfect that CV. You know, speak to people like ourselves. Speak to different colleagues. Leverage your own network. That's the one advantage that you will have over your, the market that separates you from other folks. So do leverage it. You know, your old managers, different colleagues, do leverage that. Uh, and be proactive. You know, don't be put off when things don't, don't work out. Be proactive. Put yourself out there and be confident. Back yourself. I mean, that's why you're here in the first place. Uh, and, um, and I'm sure you won't go far wrong. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Well, can I say it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Wakar. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. Really useful. Um, to everybody out there in internet land that would like to get hold of you, where, where do you hang out digitally? How can people get hold of you? I would say that LinkedIn, um, for, for somebody in talent acquisition to say anything other than LinkedIn would be would be an issue. So yeah, I'm normally on LinkedIn, so feel free to drop me a note, drop me a connect, happy to give any advice uh, or impart any knowledge that I can. So yeah, drop me a note on LinkedIn. Brilliant. Well, Wakart, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you with us. And thank you uh, to everybody that's listened and we hope that it's been really useful. So that's it. Ta-ta for now. Ciao. So, there we have it. Thanks for listening. Please do subscribe to the podcast for updates and, and rate the show. It really does help spread the word. And get in touch with me on LinkedIn. Bye for now. <laughs>